that's empowered them, but we can also use that power. And we need to. Yeah. Because I think if we don't, then it's just going to spiral out of control. And a lot of times that's what I've seen. Yeah. It has. You're listening to Find the Good News, Episode 81, The Comforter, featuring Eugenie Tullis. Find the Good News is produced by Parker Brand Creative Services, a branding agency that thinks sideways, pushes forward, and gets your brand up. See what else we do at parkerbrandup.com. More often than not, my visits with guests of Find the Good News take place nearly a month or more before they air. Normally, that's not a sobering or surreal experience, but so much has changed in our world since the time that this episode was recorded. Not long after this visit, as I'm quite certain you know, the world was changed by the new coronavirus and the medical complications brought on by COVID-19. Social distancing, quarantine, masks, gloves, disinfectant, shortages, misinformation, sacrifices, selfishness, selflessness, despair, hope, isolation, innovation, lies, heroes, takers, helpers. These are just the words that come immediately into my mind as I reflect on the current state of the world as framed by my conversation with the guest in this episode, Eugenie Tullis. If anything, the state of the world today actually made key moments in our conversation stand out even more. Eugenie Tullis is one of the helpers, the heroes, the innovators, one of the beings that has been working in the world in a selfless way, sacrificing and comforting others with presence, truth, and hope. Her job as a loving caregiver has required physical closeness for many years, so hearing our visit in the light of this time of distancing reminded me of the crucial value of human proximity, especially now that we don't have it. This conversation isn't about the global pandemic, but it is filled with advice, perspectives, and information about the very best nature of humanity. It's that best nature, Eugenie's nature, the nature of love, care, and truth that will be so important when the blanket of this virus is lifted from the world. Human closeness will return, and when it does, I plan to cherish it in ways reflective of this visit. I invite you to listen to my conversation with Eugenie Tellus, a time not too long ago when I, like many others, may have taken those around me for granted in small, almost undetectable ways. A time when togetherness was in abundance, presence was a luxury, and the smiling faces of strangers were not covered by protective masks. Now, let's press play on a little good news. Wake up, it's morning. You're dreaming up a story I can hear. The way it's going, cause you're laughing in your sleep. On the path to your deliverance and a holy wall of light. Old news, bad news, fake news. Sometimes you just want to shut it all down and get no news at all. With Find the Good News, I aim to change that by focusing on good people doing good work. I visit with artists, educators, civic and spiritual leaders, musicians, business owners, students, volunteers, and everyday citizens who are using their creativity, resources, and talents to bring hope and happiness to their corner of the world. In each episode, I dig into the hearts and minds of my extraordinary guests 
We have street-level conversations about relatable things going on in their lives. Discover the critical life experiences that shape them, the perspectives that drive them, and the fundamental beliefs that are anchoring them to a path of goodness. There's a lot of news in the world. My name is Orrin Parker, and I'm going to find the good. I love you just as well. Do a hard open. We do like a sort of soft open, just lead right in with conversation. I felt like that was better as a, for uh, for me anyway, because I didn't want this to be a real hard line interview style show, because that's not really my nature anyway. Just more conversational, than we walk around until we figure some things out. I picked that up just in listening to the few that I did listen to. Yeah. Did you have anything that stood out to you when you were listening? Just that it made me feel good. Oh, good. And that I liked. And what do you think that's about? Why do you think that is? I'm curious. Probably because I know I'm not alone. Ah. You know, there's so much news out there that's not good. And somebody finding it and realizing it's right here in our community. Like, okay, that makes me feel better. Yeah, it's not all... Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's, it's easy to get in this sort of trap of thinking that everything that's going on on this national scale is all that news is about and and you can forget that there's just ordinary people you know trying to live their lives and do the very best they can do and be good people and help each other to whatever capacity they can you know and i think that's something that just gets so overlooked we're always looking for like maybe the next story that's going to pull your heartstrings or the next you know cute group of kids that's out there changing the world and i'm not down in that stuff at all i think that's all great but i think sometimes it's just ordinary plain folk that we just that are doing things within the cracks of society you know and you don't brag about that i mean i think that takes away from it yeah absolutely. so you're just doing it so every now and then having somebody else come along and just come up with ideas or comments about what they're doing yeah makes you feel like you're with an army yeah, yeah, exactly. Even if you don't know each other, you know, hey, I haven't. That's kind of the word I would use to describe you, actually, because I was, you know, I do my light cyber stalking for most of the guests who have social profiles. And I go look at the kinds of things they post. And and I mean, you posted something about that already. We already curate that kind of thing in our friends that we have. Oh, online, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. when you realize something's really getting a bit toxic, it's like, look, I don't have to have this. I can kind of tune the dial, take that out of my life. And I was reading your post about that. And I was like, yeah, I've, I've done the same thing. You're right. I, I think that's of high value to me to change the, the, the dial a little bit if it's well, bad for me. It was something at first I thought about when I had the option to unfollow versus unfriend Mm. but it turned out to be people that i've known a lot of them most of my life yeah we just didn't have the same values and there's no reason to keep up with people that i have nothing in common with not that i'm trying to be a snob about it sure but i just don't like what they say and how they believe and i can't be around it right i really can't it takes too much of my energy yeah i struggle with that but we're about to really get off in it here because Uh, many many years ago i mean gosh i'd even say over a decade ago i kind of had this real broad view that even even blood was not enough of a bond to stick it out with somebody that was actually harmful to you and i guess i would say i maybe leaned a little bit away from that because it was a pretty hard line view that i had about it 
But oddly enough, I feel my pendulum kind of swinging back towards that and just going, look, for me to live a life that has any kind of principle or value or stand by whatever moral code I have or honor I have or even just listening to my conscience, there are going to be times and there are times where blood just is the very thing that's hurting me. It's the very voices that actually are coming for me. And maybe those are our crosses. Maybe that's what we're supposed to bear. But I can't do it. I can tell you how I feel. And I really believe that what I feel is based in love. Everything. Mm -hmm. From the animals that I post about, the cute little animals, to the babies, to do good for others, to be good. That's it. And if you can't do that, I really don't have any time for that. There are too many people I need to reach. Hmm. And I don't necessarily do it on Facebook. Right. I don't. Right. Well, that's okay. This is great. So, obviously, somebody thought highly of you and recommended you for the show. And, you you know, I respect everybody that's been on here, their opinion, because I think they're all really good people. But the person who recommended you is somebody that I really, really respect and has kind of had an effect on my life that's uh, like a hinge, you know. And... I can definitely draw lines to that person's influence and in, in who I am today. And so I'd like to just kind of rewind from that statement. You said, you know, I may do good for people, but it's not something that I just post online. You know, it's actually real works in the world. So let's let's go back. Let's talk about that. What do, what do you mean when you say you do good for people? Well, I don't necessarily want to go into the details of what I've done. Okay. But... I will tell you that just thinking about somebody else and what their needs are Mm. will strengthen you. Here's an example. My sister and I were cutting up and talking about the lottery. Yeah. And she said, oh, I've got a ticket for the Powerball. And I never remember to play. I said, oh, good. Whip you win. It was like millions. I said, will you give me a million? She said, no, you're just going to give it away. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what? I was like, right. But that's where I find my joy. Ah. And so it's just in doing, it's being in McDonald's and paying for the guy's order behind you. Small acts. It is. It's all yeah. about pay it forward. Yeah. One of my favorite movies. Yeah, it's a great movie. You're right. I, I actually totally agree. I was uh, listening to a book by Richard Rohr this morning, and there was something he was talking about in, in that regard about how... Uh, when you unfold your heart towards a stranger, how they, the stranger then that you, you think it's your light that you're bringing to them. But in that process, that person actually becomes illumination for you. Oh, absolutely. I get way more out of it than they do. Way more. Yeah. And I love Richard War, by the way. Yeah, do you? I'm surprised the Pope hadn't come for him. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's you a know, great guy, though. He, he is. really is. I think, well, from what it sounds like and listening to some of his interviews, there have been people come after him so many times in his life. I think he's over it. I well, think he's he just... <laughs> has evolved, and I think we all are on our own journey. And some of us have evolved more so than others. Some need structured religion, some don't. But the bottom line and the, the crux of it all is love and that's it it's mm. so simple i think it was made that way yeah no i agree and it's all i mean look i i find loving broadly to be pretty easy it for me it, oh, it, yeah. it broadly like i was thinking about that this morning i was taking i did a little walk before i came to work and i was thinking about how 
when I get into a certain space, it's very easy to kind of unfold my love towards unknown strangers, you know, and, and just ever everybody. Because we're all, we're all in this long arc of history together, you know, filled with all kinds of pains and sufferings. But then I thought how much more difficult it becomes to love particularly when you really start drilling down into someone who maybe hurts you or um, comes after you or maybe you give and then you they're depleting you because that does happen I mean you know you, you can be taken from taken advantage of and but you still want to maintain that divine love how, how much more of a challenge I guess it is in those circumstances and that's to me where I grow well yeah well that's all about love your enemy yeah, right. It's, it's exactly. It's really yeah. easy to love those that love you back. I mean, I get that. Or maybe, that broad, wide shot where I'm disconnected from. <laughs> like when I unfriended everybody. But you know what? <laughs> I love them, but I didn't love what they were preaching. Okay. Sure, sure. I get that. Let's face it. I mean, there's some people in there, the things that they believe in, the values they have. My mother was raising us in the 60s by herself. Oh, really? And that was almost unheard of. Unless How many someone of you died. were there? Four. Four? My dad, um, he took off. Well, and for that, I've forgiven him. But, okay, my dad is gay. Yeah, my son's gay. back then, they didn't know what to do with that. So they did what they thought they should do, and he was miserable. But when he left, he left. And so she had it all on her. Interesting. And I saw what people did for her, for us, whether it was a ride to the grocery store to provide. And she had three jobs, one of which was a DJ, by the way. Really? (laughs) But she was amazing. And all the things that she showed us, I think it's what grows within us. Because each one of us, my brother and my sister as well, Hmm. they have that inside that need to help others and do good. Yeah. Just because it's been done for us. Yeah. You know? Oh Yeah, you're right. Life can make, when you're facing troubles... It's so easy to let it make you coarse, you know, and just sort of callous you and toughen you up. And I do think that maybe there's a lot of sentiment out in the world like that, especially now. That's just like, hey, toughen up, you know, toughen up or um, your feelings don't matter. You know, that kind of language. And I almost when I hear those types of things, I go, don't don't you realize that that's actually the problem it is a problem. <laughs> that that's actually i was working problem. at 911 answering the telephones and i mean it was a very stressful job i was enjoying it i was getting a thrill out of it but i was told more than once that i was too nice on the calls oh yeah and what does so, that mean like well, how can you be too I nice think what on they were trying call. to say was that well you've got somebody hysterical on the end and you right. need to get that pertinent information but it went beyond the scope of just that. Mm. And it was across the board and with my coworkers, and I wasn't going to put up with it. Huh. I see. But I understand why they were telling me that to one degree, but um, it was a good move when I left. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know what's happened to me, and, and I don't know how it, where it came from or, or what little narratives in my life and circumstances shifted things for me, but at some point along the way i just stopped celebrating hardness i just i realized that it's not even it's not worth it 
That's good. Uh, but I don't, it, it's almost a sad, but I wish I could say it's a joyous feeling. But if I'm being honest, it's almost like a little bit of sadness because I, I tend to look out at the world and go, but it's so filled with hardness and I don't want to see all of that. I want to see the softness. I want to see softness in people. Well, you're doing, you're doing that. Yeah. That's what I you're mean, doing. So that's but it's probably a, it's where a, your mission comes from. It's an effort though, because I imagine this is what I th- often reflect on is I'm seeking it right actively and if I'm seeking that actively and I still feel like I see so much hardness what about the people that don't seek it actively how much harder does the world look yeah does that make sense what I'm saying and I just go so sad it makes me feel sad it really does I go man it's so it's got to feel so so damn lonely well, I don't know where their mind is, but I think with yours, what you have to hang on to is just like the gold prospector or the mm. guy looking for oil. That's not a pretty sight if you've ever watched them. Right. You're out there with a the pickaxe hoping. Yeah. But when they find that vein of gold, it's amazing. And that's what you're doing. And every time you find a little nugget of it, it's going to keep you going. And that apparently is what you need to be facing that way. I think if you don't have anything to look forward to, it could get depressing. And maybe that's why there's so many people that are depressed now and on medication for it. It's ridiculous. I actually think you're probably right about that. I think about that quite a bit. I mean, I talk to a lot of people who are depressed. And, you know, most of the people, if you sit, I mean, I'm sure you've experienced things like that. Most of the people, if you sit and talk to them long enough and really just let them tell you their, their life story, most people will say, Oh, I definitely have a hand to play in in my own problems. I've had my played my part. And when somebody's will at that point where they're going, yeah, I, I could have done these twenty things differently. But at the same time, there's all these other factors that have no, they have no control over. It, it is. It's sad. I ain't gonna lie. I mean, sometimes when people go, well, they just need to toughen up. <laughs> I just go, I I don't know. I don't know about that. Well, I think they need that beacon of light. I think that's what it is. You know, and a lot of people have removed themselves from organized religion families. And we, I, I don't know for sure about you, but I'm thinking we were all brought up that you did believe in God. Yeah, my, my, I guess I'd, I'd be curious to hear what you're, what you were raised in. Yeah. Well, we were Catholic, but my mother was not allowed to take communion and all that because so of she dropped us off at church. She still had us doing all that. Interesting. Uh, and I thought about that later on in life. I'm like, golly, she's better than I am because I probably would have said, forget it. Hmm. But she knew they were wrong. So yeah. She continued to have us grow up going to catechism and going to mass oh. when she didn't go. Interesting. But we didn't even understand why. And that's just one of those rules that the church made. Yeah, no, I understand. See, I, I'm, i uh, what's the best word? Um, estranged. An estranged Catholic, I guess. But it's by my own hand. I mean, nobody did it. I did it. And honestly, I'm at a point now where I probably shouldn't even consider myself, I shouldn't call myself a Roman Catholic. I mean, that's the truth. Yeah. And I don't put it down because my family, they're Catholic. But. Oh, sure. I understand what you mean. I, mean, I just think sometimes that man comes along and puts his own rules. Sure. Into what's supposed to be of God. Yeah. And that's just one of the things. And I just admire her because she did it anyway. 
Yeah. I it's interesting that you say it that way. I I uh kind of gets into what we were talking about my dad with the video store and it sticks out to me. It's funny how a little thing that was probably meant so little in the whole scope of your life sticks out, but I remember years ago i was probably 12 years old and dad would go to houston to buy all his movies that he would put in the video store and uh, one day i was sick and so i he was had to take one of his little trips to houston and so we had you know it was a kind of an ordeal for him back then to have to babysit me all day i wasn't feeling good but he took drug me to houston with him and it was a good day i remember just being kind of a good day with dad you know well we got to the big I guess movie warehouse you know and there was this little front area and when we walked in they you know dad filled out his paperwork or whatever and he was about to go back in the warehouse with his cart and so we were walking and the lady said oh no he can't go he was talking about me and my dad was kind of a hard ass i mean <laughs> some things but he, he didn't always handle things with a gentle touch but he said well then okay he said well let's just wrap it up then and so he handed up he handed her the cart back and she said oh well do you not were you not going to go back and shop and he said no he said you can go ahead and close my account out uh i'm not I can't, i'm not going to go anywhere i can't take my son good for him and granted i don't know what all the rules were and all the particulars but in that moment i don't know what it was on that day i remember that very well and i remember going wow this is how much my dad loves me that he won't go a place that I am not really fully welcomed. Whether he did that his whole life and in other situations, I don't know. But in that moment in front of me, it said something to me. There came a point for me after I converted to Catholicism when I started to really realize that, yes, I wanted to share, you know, the love of Christ with my son. And I realized that through dialogue with other parishioners that it was not going to happen. He, I I might be able to individually show him that kind of all-inclusive love, but there is going to come a day where he will not be fully able or to live his life fully within the framework of this entity that's called the Roman Catholic Church. You know, because he's going to want to get married as a gay man. He's going to want to have a relationship and a love life with somebody someday. He, he's going to want to adopt children, and he's a good person with a good heart, and I will, I'm going to support those things. And I realize that those day, that day will come. And do, do I want to sit at a table that my son can't sit at? Nope. And I realized that just like my father did, I was like, I have to, I have to make a choice here and say something by just my action alone. And I realized that I just have to do, I self-banished my basically self, self-imposed exile. I was like, I'll, I'll dine out here, you know, with the outcasts and the misfits and those who don't fit every particular cross T and dotted I of the canon law. And I'll just love those people because there's a bunch of them. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? I feel Isn't that like what Jesus it is. Did? I feel like it is, and my conscience tells me it is. Well, of course, he but, didn't hang out with the popular people. Yeah. If he had, he wouldn't have had near the trouble he had. He was starting it up because he was making an impact, but yet he was hanging out with the undesirables. Yeah. And that's who I emulate my life to be. That's what I want to be—Christ-like, really Christ-like. Yeah. 
No, I hear you. I want to be, I, I for some reason, feel called out to those um, odd colored places, if that makes any sense, where I tell people sometimes is that, you know, red and yellow for me are very powerful symbols and they, they symbolize a lot for me. But I, I, I love them because between the two is the color orange. And I challenge someone to show me where orange begins between those things. And that's kind of what I take as a philosophy, I guess, of operating is like, I don't, I don't know what color it is between the two exactly where it lands. And that's okay. There's people out there in between those two colors, you know, operating and living their lives and loving and sharing and being kind and good and merciful. So what do you consider yourself to be then? If not, oh boy. That's a tough. Uh, <laughs> we might be in the same clique. Whatever probably, it is. I, you know, I don't I, have a, I don't have a name. Recently, for it. I've actually, on principle, I've kind of stopped using the word Christian, not because I don't, by most standards, consider myself one, but I have found that it is a name that has been appropriated by others for some nefarious purposes, and. I realize too that when I when I go out into the world and if I say I'm a Christian, there there's all this gravity behind it and this long tail of history and I have no control over what that person who I'm encountering's perception is of that word alone. You know, if I come forward to someone and say I am a Christian, well if they've had a bad experience with with a, a particular clan of Christianity, that's what their perception is, and it stains my ability sometimes to even communicate with them. So what I've kind of be- begun doing is almost going back to what Paul references a few times as uh, a follower of the way, you know, because early Christians didn't really call themselves Christians. That was later on. I said, you know, I think I'd rather just leave it a little androgynous uh, and nebulous in that regard. I mean, a lover of Christ. That's kind of what I say. That is that's my example and i feel like god is in everything seriously everything and there isn't just christian or jew i mean all of the different religions have their purpose and i think i was born into christianity because the example that has been set for me is that this universe this thing this god sent somebody down to show me how to do it. That's all. That's all it was. This is how you do it. And it's all about love. And that's it. And I really believe that. So it happened to be through Christianity, but it could be in someone else's religion. Yeah. Whatever that example is. But you're right. When you say Christianity, that you got to carry all that other baggage that comes along with it. Yeah. And yeah. it's not necessarily that, but that's the example that was set for me and that's what i try to do yeah that really that whole 90s thing of what would jesus do what would he do yeah very right sad. now what would he do <laughs> seriously he I, I mean he would be flipping out at what's going on in this country and i don't want to talk politics but just in general all of it across the board yeah all of it yeah, and it a lot of it's done in his name you right know? right that, that's a bummer i would hate for somebody to say oh i'm gonna go out and I hate this group of people, and I'm doing it in the name of Eugenie. Yeah. You know, because that's really what it's about. Somebody set an example for us, and nobody's following it. Well, I say that. They are, but so many aren't. Yeah. So, we're really spiritual. Yeah, no, I know exactly <laughs> what you mean. Yeah, I mean, I... um It's strange, because on one hand, I do want people to under... Which, I mean, I guess... 
just let me backing up. That's partly why I wear a cross because on one hand I, I want to, it helps keep me honest by wearing a cross out front because for one it tell it's a reminder not not a showing for everybody else out there hey here's what i believe i don't care about that i don't care if any you know what i mean but i want for me it's like hey if i'm going to put this out front let it be a reminder for me that i'm walking kind of in the light of that thing all day every day and so it should be reflected in my behavior in the way i am i mean and it helps me it really does you know and so do I have to say and claim Christianity, claim I'm a Christian out loud on some box? No, I hope people will be able to see it. Right. Like you said, as, a, as I'm following a way. I'm following a way, and I hope you can see it, you know? I, I, and if you can't, then I got work to do. <laughs> well, but I think that they at least need to understand what it is that they're spreading. I talk about love, but if somebody asks me, what is it that you have that. Because I want some of that. I need to be able to tell them. Mm. I think there's a responsibility there, too. Yeah. So for that, I am glad for the education that oh, I Oh, yeah, for sure. And all well, of that Well, that's out. right. It's interesting you say that because there's something – I didn't think we were going to talk about this stuff. But uh, something that really kind of – I don't know why it stings me a little bit is when I, I do meet a lot of people who are spiritual – and we have lots of really good conversations and, and love is shared between us. But there's every once in a while a comment that's like, well, religion is all made up by men and mankind and, you know, not, we don't need it. They're all saying the same thing. And when I hear that, I don't it doesn't upset me or anything. It just I go, well, I kind of disagree. I think religion has been very good in the sense that they're keeping sort of like these archives of history i mean we've got great holy texts and wonderful practices and these interesting religious cultures and teachings and i mean gosh just having an archives of saints with their writings that are protected <laughs> those are beautiful things so in that sense i think religion is very good and it gives us something that we can um practice and dive into when we're really for me especially i can only speak of myself when i'm feeling weak when I'm going, look, right now I'm in the wrong frame of mind. Um, I'm, maybe I'm going through some things and I'm just not feeling in the right space. I can dive myself into a religious practice. It's something to lean on like a a walker until I can get my well, strength back. Well, you've done back, your research. You know? But I have a story. Our family is originally from New Orleans. And uh, my great-grandmother had a grocery store. They were Italian. I think they had them on every corner. And... Mother Cabrini, which is St. Francis Cabrini, ran the orphanage in New Orleans, and she would come by the grocery store. My grandmother would give her sugar and flour for the orphans, and they had small talk. And one day, she went in there. My grandmother was crying. She said, what's wrong? She said the baby, that she just had a baby, is not going to make it. She won't eat. The doctors have given up on her. She was just little, maybe four ounces, just carried her on a pillow. And so... St. Francis took off her cross. I forgot the name of it, but it's not actually a cross when the nuns take it off and pinned it to her and said, we're going to do this nine-day novena, which is a prayer every day for nine days. And on the ninth day, this baby will eat. And she did. And it was my great aunt who lived to be in her 90s, and she still had the cross. Mm. And, I mean, that sealed my faith when I was a little girl. Sure. They told me that story. And yeah. it's things like that. That's what keeps me going. I see. 
So, yeah, we do have to know something. We can't go out there blindly and just tell everybody peace, love, and crabs. It's not necessarily like that. <laughs> you really do have to have some kind of basis to tell them this is the path that you need to take, and here's the instructions. Yeah, no, I agree. Something to lean on. I always think of it as a walking stick. I need some kind of walking stick that I can come back to whenever right. Whenever I'm confronted with things that really challenge my ability to navigate them honestly i mean and so most of the time for me it's usually something where things have fallen apart well in real life i mean uh, facebook is not real life i can unfriend these people because i don't see them every day anyway but if it's your family it's in your household and someone hurts you you can't just turn them off and unfollow and unfriend so that's where forgiveness comes in and i learned all of that from the bible sure and it's so easy to forgive. I will have conversations about how mad I am with somebody that has done me wrong over and over again and how I'm never going to listen to them again. I'm never going to talk to them again. The next thing you know, they call. I'm really sorry. Oh, okay. It's fine. Immediately. That's what I think people in general want. Just the acknowledgement that you hurt me. Yeah. Doesn't mean that you even have to be wrong to say you're sorry. And I'm happy. I know it. Sorry for interrupting the conversation, but I have something I need to tell you about. You may or may not know this, but this podcast is produced in the city of Sulphur, Louisiana, one of the sister cities that make up Southwest Louisiana. All of my childhood memories are wrapped up in the city of Sulphur. It's my home, and it's been a good home for most of my life. There is a growing diversity of unique businesses, services, and events in Sulphur, each with a rich and colorful story to tell about their particular place in this little jewel on the west side of the Calcasieu River. My mission is to promote good news, to put a positive signal out in the world. That's why my team at Parker Brand Creative Services has created the new brand, Sulphur Today. Here's how it works. Post your Sulphur event, service, photos, videos, or information using the hashtag SulphurToday. That's it. My team and I will scan and curate those posts through the social media platforms we've put in place. Before you make your post, just type hashtag, that's a pound sign for the folks that don't know what a hashtag is, and the words SulphurToday with no space. My team at Parker Brand is monitoring this tag right now, and they're ready to create positive digital curb appeal for our city by sharing all the very best Sulphur has to offer through the Sulphur Today social media pages. As the Sulphur Today project grows, we will be scheduling interviews and video sessions with businesses, events, and services so they can tell their story of Sulphur Today in a series of ongoing micro-documentaries. Look for the eye-catching Sulphur Today sign when you're out in about and be ready we may be stopping by to visit you for a photo op and don't forget to stop by the parker brand creative services studio in sulfur to grab a sulfur today decal for your vehicle or business we want people visiting our area to know that they can find all the wonderful things we have to offer with ease and be a part of our history by utilizing the sulfur today pages or by searching the sulfur today hashtag do you want to help us tell the story of sulfur today Here's what I need you to do right now. Visit and like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash sulfur today. And be sure to share positive sulfur information and post often using the hashtag sulfur today. Now, back to find the good news. It's interesting that you talk about that with scripture. I 
was talking about this with my wife and maybe a coworker the other day. I was like, you're going to find in Scripture what you go looking for. And I find that I get a lot more joy out of Scripture when I go in there on a treasure hunt, so to speak, you know, <laughs> with my good news metal detector. And it's like, okay, I'm looking for proof in these Scriptures that God is merciful, God is love, all are included that all of creation you know is singing that glory that we're all connected when i go looking for that that's what's illuminated yeah and there's a lot of preachers that go looking for fire and brimstone i get it i know there's an evil to all the good but i don't look for that i just would rather look for the good yeah yeah there's something um lighter about that you know, and it's still what's strange is, you know, I guess I've heard people say, well, you know, you got to look at both because that's reality. And I go, yeah, but that good news is reality, too. And it imprints on everything as well. I think it can change things. I know it can. I believe in quantum physics. And I think about how everything we do, the frequency of it, it's never ending. Well, why would I want to portray anything but good? Yeah. I think it's going to win. I think in the end result, it always does. Light can take away darkness with just a flicker of a flame. It's interesting. We were talking about Richard Rohr. He said something. I'll probably not relay it right, but he said something in this book I'm reading. And he was talking about light. You know, we think we can see light. Like we're looking for light as in like a light beam. (laughs) And he said, but really light is that which that by which we see other things. Okay. And I was like that. That makes is sense. an interesting way to view that. And he was talking about Christ as light. You know, and if you think of Christ in that perspective, Christ is the light by which we can view everything else. I was like, that's a beautiful perspective. You know, to not just look for a, a flame or a beam of light, but to actually look out at the world and say, ah, it is by this light that I am able to see anything at all. I was like, that's kind of a, a beautiful uh, perspective. What do you think about that? I like that. And I was thinking about all the different religions when you were saying that, whether it's the Jewish community or the Episcopalian. Well, no, because they would necessarily do that. But I think that we all need that. I think that's what's important about education. And I don't know how to read. I don't personally know how to reach someone that I've done good for because I feel like I need to get, leave them with something. Mm. I don't know where to direct them. I really don't. I'm just telling you that. Mm. I don't have that answer. I can show them mm-hmm. what goodness is through Christ because that's really the only reason why I can do it. Mm. It's not me. I mm. give him all the glory, but then what do I do with that person? Don't you kind of feel responsible? I do. Like as far as like where you could lead yeah, them I with need, some yeah, place. I need you kinda... to understand that this is not just me. This is something else. And you have it, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, I, right. Yeah, that's right. You don't want to leave anybody, especially if you found find yourself in a position to console someone or counsel someone or help. Or they may end up with nothing one day but the ability to give to someone else. And that's enough to sustain you. I know. Yeah. I've had that happen in my life. Yeah. I know what it's like to have nothing. I, I can't remember who the who the saint is, but there's a prayer that I had found in the back of a missile years ago. And in, in the last couple of years, I went and looked up the whole thing. It's very long. I think it might be, I don't want to say, I'll mess it up. But anyway, <laughs> it, you've probably heard it before, but it's so beautiful. And I can only recall like pieces of it, but it begins with, come true light, come life eternal, 
Come hidden mystery, come person beyond understanding, come treasure without name. That's great. I wouldn't have remembered any of that. Oh, I love it. I love that, the beginning of that, you know, because it, it's all mystery and light and unnameable. And, and it's something that if you read the whole thing, it's pulling you towards the mystery, but it's also telling the other that this mystery exists within right. your very being. For too. you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think if I had to give somebody a gift, that would be the one gift I'd hope that is left behind is just that comfort, you know, in that uh, mystery. Well, that, maybe they'll find it like that, too, because I've heard just from some of your guests and they're doing good works and they're doing it in a church environment. That's right. And I think that's important. It is. Oh, yeah. That's the thing that I think is beautiful. How many people are called to do good, to do and help others in so many different capacities? You know, it blows my mind. I mean, it, it, it could be anything. So many small little fissures and sufferings and pains and ailments in the world. And someone's called to do it. Someone's called to put a, uh, a compress on it, you know, to stop the bleeding. <laughs> That's a beautiful thing. So, all right, that's interesting. Can we dive back in time a little bit? So I'd like to hear more about your upbringing, if you don't mind. I mean, you were talking oh. about your mother, and that seems like that that had to have been very formative, like oh, it was. going through that with your father and then, you know, your mom dropping you all off at catechism, I'm assuming, in church and then and then but her not attending that with you so there's there's this forming that's happening but the, your mother's not in that but that was just such a small part of, oh, okay. of what it was growing up in our household yeah what was it like well okay it was the 60s and a woman working what they weren't going to make near the money a man was going to make yeah and she was determined that we were going to have what we needed and she was going to raise us with the way that she had been raised with good manners and proper education all that good stuff so she did it with friends and part of it was having the time and money to be able to have a life outside of work and four kids so what she did was get together with several others and they formed a community theater acts oh she was one of the founding members really because at the time i don't know why lake charles little theater didn't have a lot with kids but they wanted to do the big performances like oliver and hello dolly and showboat and you name it king and i so that's what she did for fun and we all participated in the theater and we met some of the best people that to this day were my best friends wow they were just amazing and i remember i was in uh second grade bluebirds and we had a (laughs) father-daughter supper at school and i i'm pretty sure i was panicked about what i was going to do but my mother sent a friend of hers les armas I love him. He's gone now, but he brought me, and I didn't really know how to explain who he was. And I don't remember this, but I was told that I told all my friends he was my mother's boyfriend. <laughs> Les was way younger, okay? He was probably in college. <laughs> he was gay. He was in the theater, and he was just a kind soul who said he would do this, and he dressed up in a tux. He looked great. Oh, wow. But I never forgot it, and I was so proud. I bet. I didn't have to have my dad there. I had Les. Yeah, and other people that helped her throughout our lives, mm-hmm. and that's where I guess a lot of who I am. We were all formed from that, from the theater, from those people that we ran into. I see. And I watched her go through a lot and have a hard life, but she taught us good work ethics, 
and how to have a good time mm-hmm. without money, which mm-hmm. was important. And uh, I don't know. I miss her every day. She's been gone a few years now, but she was. I was fortunate, put it that way, to yeah. have her. What you're talking about right there, I love hearing stories like that because you can just – it's a snapshot of a different time. First of all, you know what I mean? A snapshot into your life, particularly, but just such a snapshot of a different time. We've changed so much. I don't know that really most people know how to have a good time without some kind of distraction these days. Or some My mother kind of, did. Yeah. And she was, I guess she was ahead of her time, too. I remember she was a character witness for a friend. She worked with this lady, and the lady... Um, had an abusive husband. My mm-hmm. mother knew about this. And one night, he actually kidnapped her from her mother. She had left him. And he was a, a sheriff's deputy. And he handcuffed her. And he was drunk. And he was beating her. It was horrible. And he told her he was going to kill her. Well, he fell asleep. And she was handcuffed. She ended up shooting him. Wow. And so she was arrested. And my mother was a character witness for her. She was a black lady. This was the 60s. He was from a prominent black family. And he was a sheriff's deputy. She had a lot of odds going against her. And no one was willing to stand up for her, but my mother was. Interesting. She got off. So she, she that was important to her then to take a stand. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it didn't matter. She didn't mind going up against anybody. Yeah. Nothing, nothing made her afraid. Yeah. That's something special. I think I would can relate to that with my dad. He, when you're young and you you have a sort of abrasive personality in your life, a parent maybe. On one hand, as a kid, you just look at it from a child's view, and it's just like, oh my gosh, don't embarrass me, don't do that. But <laughs> when you get older and you reflect on it, you realize, oh wait a second, um, I may not have liked the tactics necessarily. Or the method, but that person was really willing to go stick their neck out for people who nobody else was willing to stick their neck out for. And so I guess I would say I I hope that I've adopted some of those characteristics. I really do, because there are times when I go, hey, this is just a wrong thing. And I don't think you have to stand up with a fist all the time. No, you don't. But I think you have to stand up. You just have to tell them, you know what? Go ahead and cash me out. Yeah. My business is done with you. If my son can't go back here, that's right. Neither can I. Yeah. And take the heat. I'm willing to take the heat. That's another Christian thing there where I guess Christ is an example. You know, when I sit and meditate on those types of things, I go, well, am I willing to have whatever cruel name tacked up over my head, you know, to to put myself on full display and try to do the right thing. And I, I think the answer is yes. Most of the time, I've probably been a coward a few times in my life. I can imagine if I really sat and thought about it, but those are things that I remember when I was a coward and didn't do the right thing. And they stick, they burn almost. You gotta let that go though. Yeah. I remember them though, because they're, they're important for me because I go, Oh, this is, I get, I get to do this again. Well, you know what I mean? Respect. Like I get yeah. to do this again. I don't have to make that same choice. I hope I've, I hope I've learned something, you know, and, and just feeling I've always leaned towards the underdog. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It just feels right. It does. I was the one who stood up to the bully on the playground. Me too. That's who I am. Had my 
had my uh, fair share of butt kickings because of it. But yeah, I've been. Oh, I didn't because I was a girl. (laughs) They didn't beat up girls back then, but they stopped. They stopped picking on whoever it was because that's how bullies are. When somebody confronts them, I'm happy. I know it. I'm helped. I hate to pause the program, but I want to ask you something. Did you know that you can help me and my team at Parker Brand Creative Services grow the Find the Good News signal? For less than a fancy cup of coffee, you can become an Early Risers Club patron on our Patreon page. What's Patreon? Well, it's a way for creators to fund their projects by pooling support from those really passionate people that believe in what they're doing. Do you believe in what we're doing with Find the Good News? I hope you do. We believe that there's already enough negative news in the world even right here at home, and that good people doing good works deserve a platform to speak from too. That's why we created Find the Good News, and we believe in that simple mission. Maybe you believe in it too. If you do believe in finding and sharing good news, then head over to our Patreon page right now or check out the link in the show description. For a commitment of $3.33 a month, you can join the Early Risers Club of Find the Good News Patreon supporters and get access to the B-Sides, a patrons-only podcast with the crew behind Find the Good News, Parker Brand Creative Services. Each time we level up, the Patreon rewards will get bigger. If you're tired of old news, bad news, and fake news, help support Find the Good News at patreon.com slash findthegoodnews. That's patreon.com slash findthegoodnews. Now, back to the episode. Yeah, that's one of my my think my sadnesses right now is I definitely see a lot more of that in the public right now. A little more of a bullying type of attitude that's out there. It's really discouraging. Can't imagine why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the whole tone, the whole tone, and it's very quickly just shifted. And uh, you know, I think honestly though, I I was um, content to sort of ride it out. But I think I realized at some point in the last year that I, I, again, if people just sit by and ride it out and never say anything and never stand up, then it just gives more ground to that, those those individuals and those being and, and the real battlefront for me is my heart and my mind. And that's what I, I hope other people understand, too, is like that's really where they win. If you let them get that, it was it reminded me of what, what one of Gandhi's speeches when he was uh, trying to motivate people in India, you know, to do be a part of the nonviolent resistance, and then they were their arguments were, well, yeah, but they're gonna they're gonna you know hurt me, they're gonna beat me, they're gonna take my property, they're going to potentially kill me, and then you know Gandhi, and I'm paraphrasing, said, and then they'll have your dead body, but they'll never have your <laughs> obedience. And I was like, wow, that's that's something right there. There's some kind of gate that you walk through right there when you realize that they can take your body and they can take your name and your reputation and they can, you know, tack King of the Jews over your head and stick you on a cross, but they'll never, ever have your obedience. And that seems to be what all the great leaders, the ones that have been like, well, I don't want to talk about different ones. I'll get off on a tangent about it. But in general, I know that people that have been through what Gandhi went through, that's what they say. Martin Luther King, same thing. Yeah. You're not going to stop me. I'm going to be peaceful about it, but I'm going to do it. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, yeah, wasn't King said something to this effect of we'll we'll overwhelm you with our ability to suffer? Mm -hmm. You know, and that's a hard thing because we don't want to suffer. I mean, no. The minute we get a little air, our air conditioner is four degrees off. You know, we're calling, you know, the AC people and asking them how fast they can get there to fix it for us. That's one of the things that. I don't want. I want people to be comfortable, and I want to be comfortable. But at the same time, I think sometimes we can become so sedentary in our comfort that it, it robs us of our ability to endure anything. Oh, I'll put like a comment on Facebook if someone's put a post up that I don't agree with, and other comments that are coming in, I don't agree with that. I'll bring it right back to the baseline. Yeah, and isn't this what we're really supposed to do? And I don't get ugly with them. Just leave that and go on. And it's amazing how quick the dialogue stops. Yeah. Because they're embarrassed. Sure. If you call people out, and you don't have to do it by name, but if you just bring it out there, hey, let's bring this back to what it's supposed to be. Yeah. People stop. Yeah. Social media is such an interesting animal. I'm still navigating it and learning every day, even after all these years. It's like... How do I want to use this tool? I've, I've over the years I've changed my view about what what kind of tool it even is. Well, the scary part is that a lot of people use it and they abuse it, and they don't do their research and they don't read and they don't care that they don't. But I guess it's empowered them. But we can also use that power, mm. and we need to yeah. because I think if we don't, then it's just going to spiral out of control. And a lot of times that's what I've seen. Yeah. It has. Yeah, that's true. That's scary. Yeah, and it is a really good tool for sharing information and even putting ideas out there Mm -hmm. and perspectives. I think it's a great tool for that. Yes. One thing is, um, for me, I I guess I've had to realize, is like, hey, be prepared for someone to not see it your way or to take your perspective. And, And then ask yourself before you put something out there, why are you putting it out there? Most of the time, it's because I feel strongly about something. That's really what it boils down to. I mean, if I feel strongly about it, most of the time, it's either because something really good has happened or there's something that's just crawling into a unjust territory for me, for me personally. And that's it. And hey, who am I? Nobody, you know, <laughs> but I'll spend the time to actually kind of flesh out an idea. Um, and hey, more anybody's more than welcome to come challenge an idea that's great but just do it in a a, with open hands instead of closed fists i think so often that's what really bothers me is the the balled up fist mentality of entering into engagements you can't confront in just anywhere on social media without getting that Hmm. people are just waiting for instance my granddaughter was followed by this guy she was walking to work and it scared her Mm. really bad and i don't know if i think he started coming after her he was chasing her and a car pulled up and they saw this going on Mm. and they got her and they put her in the car which i think at that point it was one of those fight or flights it was better to go with the strangers in the car than this guy who was literally coming after her she heard him running behind her and when she turned he was hauling it so she took off running the people in the car took his picture and we put it on Facebook, and they found them. The police yeah. found them. But I posted it in one of these... Um, like community tech Yeah, pages. and I got people saying, oh, yeah, right. And that's why y'all took such a great picture of them. Uh, in other words, they were defending this whole situation. That wasn't even necessary. Yeah. 
that's what you get on social media if you go outside of your little realm of friends. That's what I've found. Yeah. So you can make a comment, but don't go back and look at what they respond to. Yeah. Because they're just trying to um, get a rise out of you. They're not really trying to have a decent conversation. Yeah. No, I, I... Yeah, no, I totally get what you're saying. It's such a strange, I don't know, the whole thing is strange. So I think, I don't know who posted it, but somebody said, I'm old enough to remember um, a time when I didn't have to take a picture and post it every day. And I was like, I laughed at it <laughs> yeah. and I thought, of what you're eating. <laughs> something I've been trying for a couple of weeks now is to take a 100% uh, digital Sabbath on Sunday. And so um, it's it worked this weekend a lot better than the weekend before, but just to go, okay, I'm plugging my phone in and just completely putting it down just you or your whole family well just me i haven't talked about it with anybody <laughs> in my family i mean i like doing personal experiments first to see if there's any val- anything valid in there because some things i just can't can't do you know i go well this discipline that i think i'm going to apply to myself <laughs> when you really get out there into the monday friday schedule you go well there's just too many hiccups i can't stick to it now if i lived in a monastery you know that'd be different then it would be you know very structured and you have time set aside (laughs) for these things but my mom knew a guy who uh, (laughs) did that in fact his family um, was from beaumont and Mm. his grandfather discovered oil spindle top and he became a monk for about three or four years yeah and every four hours, you get a knock on your door. And it was either to fertilize your garden or tend to it or pray mm. or eat. And he said just one morning when that knock came, he said, I want to go home. Interesting. <laughs> so he did. But uh, he was really eccentric and very unique well, person. Well, that's interesting. It reminds me of somebody that I sort of know. Um, when I went to Northwestern State University, the, you know, up there in Natchitoches, mm-hmm. the campus there is adjoined with the Louisiana School for the Math, Science, and the Arts. And I remember, this is back in the 90s, early 90s, and I remember there was a monk who was one of the art teachers, and his name was Brother Michael David. And I remember, even though I didn't go to Louisiana School, I did get to go to the art gallery, and his work was incredible. Just what an incredible illustrator. So they had the professor show you know the staff show and i remember just being completely enamored with his work like wow he just had this command over the illustrations and i I just thought he was fascinating never talked to him but there was something about that guy just being there you could tell he was living to a whole different pace to where he is these days well let me tell you this is very interesting i I remembered him like he stuck out to me and so as i as i've gotten older i would think about him from time to time i can remember walking around the city and seeing brother michael david just kind of walking through town you know with his little sandals on doing his own thing had a big beard had his head shaved you know the crown (laughs) shaved well Years later, I guess it was probably two years ago, I had a meeting up there. I had a project I actually was working on. This is, you know, 25 years, you know, has went by. And I was chatting with the person, and we were talking, reminiscing about the history of the town. And I bring him up, and I said, oh, there was this guy who used to live right down the street from where we're meeting at in this house. And he had, like, glass bottles hanging everywhere, and he was a... He was a monk. His name was Brother Michael David. And she goes, oh, he still lives here. (laughs) She goes, but you know he's not really a monk. And I said, what? And she goes, no, he just dresses like a monk and lives like a monk. And he goes by Brother Michael David 
but he's not a monk. And that blew my mind. It blew my mind because what I thought was, it gets back to what we were talking about at the beginning. I was like, so his presence alone was indicative that he was living some kind of connected life. Yeah, like if spiritual. it walks like a monk, <laughs> I think he was a monk. Yeah. To himself. To himself, he was. And that was a beautiful thing. And so from the person perspective in the meeting I was with, they were like, yeah, that's kind of a little kooky to us. But for me, it actually, I didn't say it in the meeting, but like deep down, I almost was happy to find out that he wasn't a monk. It's like, so this man made a choice at some point in his life to live with a completely reconnected Attitude. That's what I'm saying. He just did it without, yeah. you know, the supervision of whatever right. monks. I don't know who supervises them. That's but right. But they're different. They're not all Buddhist monks. So no. I mean, but it was just like, was. it made me think like, who who bestows this upon this person and who and why? It doesn't matter because he was, he still had that presence, right? And it still, it almost made it even more beautiful that a person you saw be, that, but they were they were saying it like, uh, eh, it's a little strange. Yeah, don't think it's that cool. He doesn't but, quite fit in, and I'm like, yeah, but how awesome is it to just not quite fit in and be right. beautiful like that, you know? And so I don't know. For me, it made me happy to hear that after all these years, my perspective was right and wrong yeah so to speak it was even more amazing <laughs> oh i'd have to go find him i'd have been knocking on his door for that one yeah isn't that something though yeah. you know and so for the world to look at a person like that they go oh he's odd he doesn't you know who does that who who wears robes and who changes their name and who walks around for 20 something years like with sandals and living <laughs> like a monk and i go yeah but who's the lunatic here you know, is he the crazy one? <laughs> yeah, are we crazy? That's the truth. That's yeah. good. Yeah. I, I just, wonder if he's still there now. He <laughs> is still there. Yeah, he's still there. And that's in Natchitoches? Yeah, he still lives on, it's like right past Front Street. He's got a little home there. It's got a little archway and everything's all overgrown. And back inside there, there's, you can see like, you know, bird chimes and bird feeders and like this house tucked back in there. How neat. I know. And it's like, you know. Again, I always have been kind of attracted to those kinds of people. You go, wow, you just kind of, you just separated yourself, but you're still in the world, but you're not of, of the it, world. You know? <laughs> and that' what we're supposed to do. Yeah, really, really kind of That's a beautiful neat. thing. Yeah, I don't know something about what you were saying. Just that man coming <laughs> to your house, you know, the monk and doing the. Uh, Doing the the yard work and the gardening and all that, just like oh yeah, that reminds me of uh, Brother Mike. <laughs> it's funny because he'll always be in my mind. He'll always be sort of like this, you know, holy man walking around. Well, town. I think he was just because he wasn't with a specific order, right? But they didn't get it, and that's okay. <laughs> Some people don't. That is interesting. Are there any standout moments though to you like that? People that you've encountered that you go oh throughout your life that you you feel like were influential where you say oh they made a hinge in my life without a doubt this person influenced me i think most of the people that i care for they've all had something i take care of the elderly and that is a passion of mine i absolutely love it for years i was um, i worked with elderly protective services as, mm. as a supervisor of the five parish region and we had guidelines but we would go into homes and you had to make a quick assessment, sometimes in five minutes or less, whether or not this elderly person, age 60 and over, is the population we served. You had to determine if they were at risk. Many times the person uh, 
that it was considered the perpetrator was their uh, adult child really or spouse yeah so you're in their home and it's just you had to make a decision quick so it was get in there and go straight forward but also gain the trust of this person who more than likely has been in an abusive situation and i found that i could do that in no time and i think that was the influence of my grandmother and aunt they were both up in age but they took care of us in the summers because my mother worked and there were no daycares back then and i think I understood how they thought, mm. and I understood what they wanted, and I knew about respect. Yeah, and I knew to respect them. So when I would go in these homes working with EPS, I just I was able to hit the nail on the head, and we were able to help people, and it was amazing. It was in the '90s when uh, state of Louisiana finally got the program. We were the last state in the union to start taking care of our elderly. Really, I didn't but know that, that. Yeah, and that put the passion in me, and. Then later on, I just got really just tired of going through the working for 911 that was short lived because I had this desire to help. And when I started doing caregiving, it's like, oh my God, I had so much fun because you learn so much. Oh, and yeah. then you're able to help somebody. Yeah. And so I've got probably six or seven people as I stay with them till the end. Do you? It's just what you do. To the end? Yeah, because once you start helping somebody, it's because they need it. And then as they're losing their ability to remember things or how they like things, you've learned all that. Mm. So you can fill in the blanks for them and yeah. how unfair to leave just because they're getting close to the end. So I've learned from them. Right now, I'm taking care of a guy who is 99. He'll be 100 in July. Oh, he's wow. a World War II veteran. Wow. And he's oh, he's the sweetest. He really is. And his stories are amazing and the things that he's gone through. Hmm. And he just lost his wife of 72 years. She wasn't sick. We were there to take care of him. She was doing great. And one morning she was getting ready to go to the grocery, and we were going over the grocery list, just sitting next to each other. And in a moment, I noticed in her eyes something was going on. Hmm. And I jumped up, and it, she had a seizure. And from there, I called 911. She ended up at the hospital, and it was a stroke. And she, she died that day. And... I always believed that he wasn't going to make it if something happened to her. They were that close. 72 years. Soulmates. Yeah. But he's proven me wrong. Hmm. And we were trying to lift him up, and he turns around and lifts us up because we're telling him, you know, you got a lot to live for, Doc. You got your kids. He goes, and I have y'all. <laughs> and I was, oh, that just made me feel so good. Mm -hmm. So I want to do everything for him that she taught us, because that's what she did. When we first got there, she was very resistant to help. Her children knew that she needed help. But once she realized that we were going to do it her way and just relieve her of the burden. Yeah. I told her one day after two weeks of tug of war, trying to be able to cook the meals for him, she wasn't feeding him enough because she didn't understand. And uh, I told her, I said, you know, Doc's been retired several years, but you never got to retire. She goes, well, that's the truth. Yeah. <laughs> so, and it turned her around on it. So she let us do for her and, in essence, do for him. And so that when she did die, his world didn't just crumble. We were there for him. Yeah. But just hearing the stories and how brave he was with the war and the hard times they went through. And yet he still got a strong faith. Interesting. In God. Yeah. And so I get more out of that than he does of me taking care of him. But 
I enjoy it so much. It's not a job. doesn't feel like it anyway. can't believe I'm getting paid to do what I love. How long have you been doing that? Oh, probably about eight, nine years now. So how did you end up doing that? How did you get there? I have done so many crazy things. Okay, I did the whole restaurant thing. I was 21 years old and we opened Yeah, and we haven't even talked about that. The hamburger joint. And it was fun for a while. And then I got tired of that. And then I went to work at Cark. And I loved working with the adults with disabilities. And I helped find jobs for them out in the community supported employment and that was fun because then i got the job coach and what you do is bridge that gap so that when you leave they have people there who understand their needs take them under their wing and anyway they were secure in their position some of them are there for years and uh then from there i did some stuff like paralegal work but mm. just wasn't any joy in it you know mm-hmm. same thing with the 911 and then uh I went to the nursing home to advocate for my aunt, who at this time was almost 102. We were having problems, and my mother was not at all happy. And your emotions are high when that's going on. And I just kind of kept the peace in the meeting. And so I was approached by the ombudsman and asked if I would like to work with Elderly Protective Services. Come put your application in. So that's what I did for a few years until, let's see probably five or six years and then the state of louisiana took it over at the time we were pilot programs the council on aging here had the program but volunteers of america new orleans had it sheriff's department in northern parish and so when the state took it back one of the criteria was that you had to have a specific degree to be the supervisor Mm -hmm. so we lost our jobs i see but it was good because it was just a platform for what i really enjoy doing yeah so wow that's interesting. You've really have done quite. That's a, not all of them. That's just the ones that I'm touching on. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is, but this you feel like really oh, gets right it. into your heart. This oh, is where yeah. you're at. This is it. Yeah. Well, that's what kind of what that's what uh, Alita had said, but she didn't tell me too much. <laughs> so I was waiting on. I was waiting to hear it from you. Like, what was the story behind that? So in you know, all those years, then it sounds like m- many people have touched your life. Oh yeah. Yeah. Too many to really think of anyone in particular. Well, do you get to share, though, any of those stories with other people? I mean, is that a, is that part of it? I mean, for you, you know, you're hearing a lot of stories and experience in their lives with them. But do you find value in sharing some of that? with? Well, others? what I, I find that I need to do a lot is help with the families mm. because they're having to go through something that's role reversal. That's yeah. really hard. There's things that I did with my own mother. So I know how difficult that can be. And to be able to provide the resources that I know are out there to assist and the comfort and the words, sometimes it's just what they need to hear. Somebody who's not emotionally involved like all of them are. I mean, this is usually a terrible time for people. When your parents start losing the ability to take care of themselves, it crushes everybody. It Mm -hmm. just does. But it's a natural progression. So when I get in there and I'm able to help, then that relieves their worries, their responsibilities, where they can actually just enjoy them. Do you think that's something that we are either are gaining or losing in this world, the, the, the respect for the elderly and the, the, the desire to care for them to the end? Well, I think in our country, we're getting better because it's been so poor. Mm. I mean, it just has. Yeah. We put them in with, that's where poor houses come from, mm. flop houses. Mm-hmm. And then... 
uh, different regulations and laws are made and all of a sudden we have to take care of them well that's okay but now we're getting to the point where let's do it with the waiver program per se where you can actually apply for a waiver to take care of someone in their home because it's less expensive anyway and it's better mm-hmm. the least restrictive setting so we're learning and in the process we are learning the importance of our elderly people. I mean, they're revered in some countries, and they haven't been here. How many shows on TV have an older person starring in them? Just to explain that, uh, there's not very many. The Golden yeah. Girls, and they're usually a joke when they do. Yeah. You know, a Red Fox back in the day, uh, Sanford and Son. Yeah, Matlock. <laughs> yeah, well, he wasn't even old. Not yeah. really. I don't know. For me, when I was watching it, he <laughs> but, was. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> But all of those things, I think that's changing, especially because the baby boomers are about to be the most popular, I mean, the most populous people for the first time in the history of this country. Age 60 and over will be the majority. That's like walking in the mall and four out of five people are over the age of 60. Mm. That's going to be weird. It's almost here. That's interesting, yeah. So, yeah, now it's time we better start thinking about it because now we're the majority. We can vote in all these things that are going to make our lives better yeah. and more enriched. Mm. So, yeah. yeah. Well, and you get you have a unique perspective on that because you work in the, how How many days a week do you work? Yeah. Actually, uh, five. Five? Twelve-hour shifts. <laughs> okay. I took off today to be here. <laughs> really? Yeah. So, okay, so you work 12-hour shifts. Well, is that the same people, or is it different people? I just have work? one person. Oh, one person? But okay. what I do, if somebody calls, and, and just word of mouth, they're looking for somebody. If I know a good sitter, mm. I'll usually go make the assessment so that I can tell the family, you know what, right now you don't need 24-hour care. This is all you really need. Mm-hmm. Just a few hours, let's try this, and we'll work up to it. And if I know someone, I'll refer them. I see. I don't have an agency, per se, and I wouldn't want one. I don't want that responsibility. But I do like to find good people. That's interesting. That's so you operate as a like a, a indivi- like an individual then? Mm-hmm. You don't operate but is, You'd be surprised how many people call. We heard about you. I need some help with my parents. I don't know what to do. I don't know what's out there. Those kind of questions. And it's just word of mouth. Someone gets your name and number. That's really beautiful, actually. So it's been fun. It's been very rewarding. I probably helped about maybe 30 to 40 families. Wow. Get people, uh, either whether it's care in their home. Sometimes it's rehab through a nursing home. Because I've learned all the things. Because we had to do placements. For the people that we helped, you didn't just take them out of your home. You had to figure out what to do with them. Right. So I, a lot of times they just need a good, uh, maybe it's a psychiatric exam because maybe some of the medicines they're taking, they've been taking care of themselves, they're starting to lose it. Next thing you know, they're going to two to three doctors getting the same medicine. And the reaction is causing the problems that their family's seeing. So it may be that they can stay on their own. Let's get them back on track. Do yeah. the assessment first with a, a professional, see what's going on, and then... That makes sense. Yeah, so, you don't want somebody to just deteriorate. You want to actually help them. Well, a lot of people, that's what would happen. Oh, you're losing it. You've got to go in a nursing home. Next thing you know, you find out it's because they weren't on the right medicines. Hmm. A simple UTI can cause you to have um, memory loss, confusion, irritability. You might think it's a whole different ball game, dementia, when it's actually just that they need to be on an antibiotic. It's that simple or that complex. Yeah. And so you're able to give like that one-on-one personal I care where you to. can see. Well, we're at an age, too, where a lot of people have moved out of this area 
for better jobs other places but their families are here their parents and they're on their own and they only come home to see them for a holiday and in that brief time they're panicked because they don't know what's going on yeah i gave an, an elderly lady a ride home i guess about a month ago from uh, one of the shopping centers where she approached me in lake charles and i didn't know where she lived but it was a long drive and so <laughs> you know we had a lot of time to talk and it was exactly what you just described you know i started asking her about her family and her church life and just different things and basically what i discovered is that she hadn't seen her kids in years mm-hmm. you know I mean, Isn't that sad? yeah and she was just living alone in a trailer you know uh, walking wherever she could, whenever she could. Or taking catching, rides from total strangers. Taking rides. I mean, at the mercy. I know. I that's know. actually, you're right. And it, it, it's interesting because I thought that that day. I was like, God, you know, just to go, hey, I need, I can't get home. I need to get home. You know? Well, that's one of the questions I ask when I go do an assessment is, would you open the door if there was a man out there that you didn't know? And they'll say, oh, no. What if he said he needed help that somebody was in the car? Oh, well, then, yeah, I'd let him in for that. <laughs> so, in other words, they would. Yeah, right. You know? well, just a slight manipulation or shift in story. Man. So, is that hard at first? I mean, it sounds like you're with them for many, many years sometimes. Oh, but it's like first... losing, it's losing family over and over again. That's what it feels like. But I know, and I keep saying every time, well, this next one I'm not going to get that close to. Do you say well, you that? can't help it? Yeah, yeah, I do. I do. That seems like it. I, I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if I could. I might tell myself that, but I know I know myself well enough to know I wouldn't be able to, to actually live up to that. Well, you do. I mean, but you get better. Yeah. That's, well, where, faith, that's where faith comes in. You know, it really does. Yeah, because you know where it's heading. I mean, ultimately for all of us. I mean, right. so it's not like. But to sit with someone as they die more than once. Hmm. Not always the person on the shift. I think that's another thing that God decides who's going to be there for that moment. But, yeah. You probably end up having a lot of different roles with these people. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, as a friend, a caregiver, but also... Translator. A translator, yeah. Even a... Uh, spiritual uh, companion mm-hmm. to, to a large degree, I would imagine. You know, and then also historian. Well, and theirs because they can't remember sometimes. For instance, you take care of someone and their loved one has died, their spouse, and they're trying to tell a story that you've probably heard 50 times mm. to somebody else. And they used to look at their wife for that, that word that would get them back on track. I can fill that in. Yeah. That's why I say get help before you absolutely have to have it, at least to some degree, so someone knows your likes and dislikes. I've always said I'm going to write this book, and it's going to be, this is what you need to know about me. And you can bring that book with you wherever you end up. For instance, if I were to have to go into a nursing home, don't bring me into the room where they're playing bingo. I would rather have Alexa on and listen to some music from the 70s. Yeah. But somebody better write it down. Who's going to be there for your wishes if you're not able to tell them? Right, right. So it does help to have somebody. And we're not all fortunate enough to be able to afford to pay for someone in our own home. Right. But that's where I wish we would come up with like a group home for elderly. Maybe four people per house and have a big great room so that the wheelchairs can get everywhere. And you've got one person cooking for everyone. Mm. And they each have their own room with their own bathroom. Mm-hmm. 
and then one guest room, and then they can alternate by calendar whose relative wants to come visit I for see. a weekend. I see. But all four together could afford one person. Yeah, now that makes a lot of sense, actually. You know, Has anybody done that? Well, I think there's some places in Colorado that have done some similar. Maybe like uh, take an old motel mm. and make it assisted living for the elderly. But I think mine would be more cost effective because a lot of people are going to only have Social Security. Yeah. It's not a whole lot. Right. Let's just say 800 a month. But if you do that times four, then you can afford to pay somebody and to keep one house and to remain as independent as possible. That's really interesting. And, yeah. you, and you know, when you're in it like you are, you can have... I guess these productive thoughts like that and plans because you can see what the actual need is versus what you know a perceived need from the outside. Yeah, you do. Yeah, that's very interesting. I could listen to you talk about that all day. You actually <laughs> yeah. you, have you ever thought about writing a book about it, about your experiences? Yeah, and I probably should. I think it'd be of high value to have something like that, especially for other caregivers. I mean, to really get some perspective or someone who's listening to this you know i mean i could i could i could see someone imagine someone listening to this going you know i i have those qualities i think i could do this and maybe they're young and on the front end but being able to access your experience and advice would be really high value well it's going to be it's a need right now but it's going to be an even greater need when the baby boomers get to that point because right now you know 60s and new 50 and all that good stuff but there's going to be a time when they can no longer take care of themselves and the way that the nursing homes are set up now that's not conducive to our lifestyle Mm-mm. no i um it's kind of depressing actually it is it's depressing. very depressing i mean but there's ways around that you know first of all that home that i just described but if not at least revamping Mm. what we consider but you know there again it takes so long to do things like that because that's for the most part it's going to require some law to change because certain things are mandated by the state that's why if you have your own home Mm. but even those are regulated to some degree so i think it's like you said somebody has to be in the situation to know it's really needed and then take that extract that information and apply it yeah interesting yeah there's a need so i'd like to jump one more place with you if you don't mind because we've mentioned it is the hamburger joint (laughs) i'd like to just hear a little bit about that history well the way i got involved um was it was 1977 we're talking about cottons right cottons yeah kenny and i were married and he wanted to go into the restaurant business with her name was uh, Yana Reedus, and she owned the Colonial Inn on Broad Street. It's on the corner of Broad and Reed in Lake Charles. A lot of people knew about it. The old Marianne's Cafe, they were all related. There oh, were like okay. three or four Greeks that had come here, and they, got, they were all together, and they would fight, and they'd have their own restaurant. Anyway, she was running <laughs> that. Her husband had died, and so Kenny went over there to learn the business, and we were going to like franchise with her but by the time we were ready she was ready to retire she said uh-huh. no i've got grandchildren my daughter lives in lafayette i just can't do it y'all go ahead and wish you the best she was one of our first customers so we did we opened that up with literally a shoestring budget we had nothing for advertising we were right across from mcneese where 
Smoothie King is now. Oh, okay. So we just opened the door. I didn't realize that. Threw the onions on the grill. Pierre was there. Pierre, <laughs> with, Pierre with the dairy barn. And that was it. The smell brought him in. Wow. And the rest was history. And that's been going on for several years. So That's interesting. Yeah. At one time, we had three. We had one <laughs> on South Rhine across from St. Pat's. Yeah. And then we had one in Beaumont. Oh, I didn't know that. But it's crazy. You can go to Beaumont, and their favorite burger is the... Uh, Whataburger. Oh. It's way different. Just, I guess, I don't know, people's taste. Yeah. I've never really been a fan of that. And then the spinoff huh. was when Pierre took it and ran with it, and he's been doing great. Yeah. See, I, I learned that today. I had no idea that Dairy Barn was basically a, a spinoff, as you just put it. Yeah. I remember going to Dairy Barn after high school, as we were talking about that earlier, and uh, I would go grab a burger there and then go walk to my job every day. And then, you know, he had shut that location down, and uh, I'd graduated high school by then. And then years later, here comes Dairy Barn again. <laughs> he's doing great. And he's got, like, poor boys that are unbelievable. Yeah. And fish and shrimp and the whole uh, Borden's thing. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah. So what year was it that you were done with Cotton's? Probably 87. Okay. 88, something like that. So who has it now? It's a, is it Kenny still has it. Okay. On Oak Park. And yeah. then my daughter has uh, Cotton's Downtown. Is yeah, what it's okay. Called. That's my So it's still daughter. in the family then. Yeah. Interesting. That's cool. So, so interesting. All burgers. <laughs> yeah, golly, man. I, I mean, you know, I, I remember those uh, commercials. Cotton's the king of the grill. <laughs> you remember that little girl? I do remember. <laughs> okay, well, that was during the time when Alita and I had uh, met doing Oliver. And we were like the ones that took care of the kids. Her son, Jason, was yeah. in it. Well, my daughter, Kate, who was four was crazy about Jason. He was a few years older. She wouldn't do the commercial if she couldn't say his name. How funny. So we had, my mother wrote the commercial, so we had to incorporate that. So at some point, she's on the phone. She says, you know, I called up my boyfriend, Jason, asked him out to dinner. Why? <laughs> hamburgers, of course. And that was when we were running the specials, uh, dollar hamburgers. Wow. So, so that's how you met. I was going to ask you, how, how did you and Alita Barnes become friends? When? We uh, had kids in the play together. And uh-huh. so on Friday night after rehearsals, we would go to, I don't know, it was IHOP or something like that, because they had to have those chocolate chip pancakes at 10 o'clock at night. And then thanks to Facebook, I started thinking about Alita one day. I said, I wonder where she is. And I put her name in, and at the time, she was in New Orleans. Yeah. So it was fun just to reconnect. It's funny, because... Uh uh, you know, she influenced my life a great deal, and she was one of those people that I wondered if I was ever going to get to really see again. And many years ago, when my son was in the, I guess seventh or eighth grade, his chorus group had went to New Orleans. So he and I just stayed the weekend in New Orleans, you know, and walked all around downtown, you know, and just had a good time. Me and he was little, still junior high, you know, and we ran into Jason. He was there. Uh, I believe for the same thing, but he was doing it was a different group with his kids. And so he and I happened to go grab lunch one day while the kids were performing and we got to talking. He said, well, we're going to dinner with mom tonight. And I was like, wait, your mom lives here? And he goes, yeah, she lives in town. He said, well, look, we'll come pick you up at the hotel. So Jason and his family came and picked me and John up. And then uh, we all went and ate at Giacomo's with Alita. That's cool. And boy, it was just great. I had such a good time that night. And I was like, man, I really needed that. And so 
uh, I guess it was last year when we started this show. I had just kicked it off, and we were down at the homecoming parade, and she came walking by, and I was like, "Hey, what are you doing here?" And we talked, we chatted, and she said, oh, "I moved back to town." You know, kind of gave me her quick update, and so. I said, I got to get you to come on this podcast and let me talk to you. That's <laughs> you know? so cool. Yeah. She's so. my movie buddy. We go to all the movies together. Do you? Yeah. Yeah. She's great. She, she really, really is. Now, I love her a lot. She, uh, I feel blessed to be able to have kind of a relationship with a, a teacher because they're so teachers are so important. They're so uh, much more valuable than what just what you're getting in that classroom if you really allow yourself to connect with one you know in your life i I would she must have been the one because you're not the first student that's told me that no i think a lot of people have had that experience just had some kind of it factor you know well for me and i don't know how it is with everybody but she made me feel seen and i've heard other teachers who's been on the show have said similar things that students have told them that that they felt like for the first time they really saw them somebody really looked at them and you know i had parents who loved me and family and i mean i was loved by a lot of people but for some reason at that particular time in my life i just needed i was going through some stuff and nobody really was paying attention that i was going through it and my family really didn't know but she somehow intuited that to whatever degree that there was just a need there and she approached me at the right time and it just something that's how all this came to be yeah I love I love life in that regard, you know, when you can connect like that. And us sitting here at this table, you know. I know. Yeah. It's crazy. It is interesting. I mean, even the little the Pierre connection and the dairy barn, I mean, that may seem like maybe inconsequential to somebody else, but to me I go, eh. There's just these forces at play across time. And they're really elastic. They you know? really are. <laughs> it's a trip when you find yeah. out how somebody knows someone in this community, it's all the time. Yeah. If we talked long enough, we know a lot of people. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. So, so did you did you stomp around sulfur at all whenever you were young? I mean, was it not really sulfur? No, but I was looking. I noticed you do. Um, but Pierre moved over here, and that's how that's really I my see. only connection. Well, and I went to uh, from grade school up with Daphne Fish. I went to school, and Daphne's husband is your mayor. Yes, okay. And that's right. I was going, why is that name She's amazing. Like that? She's always been such a sweet, kind person. Yeah. So I can, I just have to believe that he's great. Yeah, I mean, I hear nothing but good things. He and I haven't had a chance to talk, really. You need to get him on the show. Yeah, I've talked to uh, Erica over at the city. We're going to try and line something up. I think it would be really good. He'd be the first uh, public official who's actually sat at this table. So, um, this has been great. This episode's Fishing for Goodies Fishbowl sponsor is Brimstone Museum and Henning Cultural Center in Sulphur, Louisiana. I don't know what you look for when you travel, but one of the things I look for when I'm putting together my itinerary is a unique museum or gallery in the city I'm traveling to. I do this almost every time I go to a new city, but if I'm being honest, I'm guilty of not always doing that very thing right here at home in Sulphur, Louisiana. That's really a shame because we have one of the most interesting, historically relevant, and culturally rich corners in any city in the country about two minutes from where I'm sitting right now. I'm talking about the Brimstone Museum and Henning Cultural Center. 
Have you ever really thought about why our city is named Sulphur? They've got a permanent exhibit on the history of the Sulphur industry that answers that simple question and more. You really get a full scope of just how important the Sulphur mining industry was to the development of Southwest Louisiana and the impact it had on the rest of the world. Yes, the rest of the world. On the same property, right next door to the museum, is the Henning Cultural Center, presenting some of the most interesting, modern, and culturally relevant local art shows I've ever seen. My dear friend Tom Trahan and the Brimstone Historical Society have really worked hard to give us this treasure, and it's a multifaceted jewel that I plan to take advantage of more often. You don't have to wonder what their hours are, or how to get there, or what shows are coming up. Just go to brimstonemuseum.org, like I did, and subscribe to their mailing list right there on the homepage. That's brimstonemuseum.org. Tom will make sure you start getting the announcements for each and every new show at the gallery. But you don't have to wait for the mail to arrive to enjoy this historical local treasure. You don't have to be guilty, like me, of overlooking a local wonder that conveniently sits next to the Grove, one of the most beautiful walking parks in southwest Louisiana. Drop in and say hi to Tom for me. Tour the museum and center, and make sure to tell Tom that you heard about Brimstone Museum on Find the Good News. Now, let's take that dive in the fishbowl. I gotta keep you for a few more minutes because this is the part of the show where we do the fishbowl. Do you know about this? I don't. You get draw three questions out of there and then answer them. And we'll, oh, I answer. You answer them, yeah. <laughs> now, there's a bunch, so dig in there and get whatever you want. Okay. Would you host a foreign exchange student for a year or be an exchange student? I would do both. Really? My, actually, my husband did this. Really? Mm-hmm. He did. They had the Chateau Charles oh, yeah, back I remember in the that. day. Yeah. And Andy went to France and then brought somebody. So, yeah, I would love to do that. Yeah, I think it would be exciting oh, to do either one. This is kind of neat. Did you make these up, or is this a... Some of them I did. Some of them guests did. Some are parts of old cannibalized games. If you could compete in the Olympics, which sport would you choose? Wow. Well, if I could, it would be volleyball because that used to be my game. Oh, yeah? But, yeah. But I guess I could go further and say I'll go ahead and be the gymnast. (laughs) (laughs) Would you rather have a rewind button in your life or a fast forward? Well, I guess that depends on the moment. (laughs) That's right. There's certain times I like to hurry up and fast forward, but there's also some rewind. I think I'm okay with not having either. Yeah. I don't want to go back. Really? Because if I didn't do it right, I learned from it. If I did do it right, I don't want to fool with it. Yeah. And then a fast forward, what would I be missing? Yeah, I think I might. uh, In the worst of times, is usually the best. I think I'd like that rewind button. If I had to, not to redo anything, but to just, uh, if I could observe, like maybe something I experienced and went, man, I sure wasn't paying attention. And just like I could rewind and know to pay attention. (laughs) Not change anything, just... Be aware. It wouldn't be the same, though. I don't know. There's things that I know that I should have been more present. And then you would, but you'd be, be further along your journey. I guess you could be. Yeah, that, that's an interesting question. Fast forward or rewind. I got one last question. Okay. It's uh, on the back of that yellow mug that belongs to you now. Oh, cool. Did anything good happen today? Yes, it did actually. Do I need to share that? I'll tell you, you can tell us, yeah. Well, I went by the dairy barn before I came here. 
Yeah. And uh, yeah, and got you something got that's me in some, that car. I know. Can I open it? Yeah. It's not pri- too private, is no. it? No. <laughs> I could share it with everyone. And it didn't cost me anything. I tried to pay for it. Yeah, you came in here bearing gifts today. Right? It's a card. Since God is everywhere, may you feel that he's as close as a gentle hug. Boy, that's that's what we want. Some comfort, huh? Right. I hope you're feeling better. Yeah, I had the flu last week. Oh, my gosh. I'm still kind of recovering as far as... We- hey, and I got a gift certificate to Dairy Barn. Since he says you never go. He's, I don't know this guy. So, yeah. You, he you, knows me. I know he knows he's me. He's going to be like, oh, man. It was you. Uh, he's, yeah, yeah. He'll ask me. Because he, I, I think I want to say the last time I saw him, we talked about Daddy. Because I didn't think he realized Daddy had passed away. And so we caught up. and it's But it's been a little bit. It's yeah. been a minute. I've seen him. He just hadn't seen me. But they're busy in there. Yeah. You know, you can't say hi to everybody. If he no, did, he'd today, be there all day. Today, probably until 1 o'clock, all he's going to be doing that's, is cooking. That's so, so nice. Man, she came bearing gifts today. You got a fresh lemonade. I got a beautiful that card. That was also Pierre's. Like, bring and I got a me. note in here. I'm going to read. I'm going to save this for private, though. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah, that's very nice. Man, thank you. This has been a good experience. It was fun. I hope you had a good time. And you were like, hey, what are we gonna, how's this going to go? What are we going to talk well, about? That doesn't mean you have to air it. I don't know if there's any information anybody else would want to hear, but we I did. I aired we every did. single one of them. Every one of them. You know, unsung heroes a lot of times is what it is. Just people that are doing good things. And, I mean, you obviously are. And I love you just. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Eugenie Tullis. If you found something good in this conversation, consider helping me keep the signal strong by supporting good news at patreon.com slash find the good news. I thank you for pressing play, for listening, and for sharing good news.